title to the message this morning is Old Man, New Man. And I want to begin with a question, and that is, what brings change in our life? Often we look at Christianity and we, we struggle with, I just can't seem to win. I can't seem to become what I'm supposed to be. And we feel this burden of doing and doing. But the reality is, religion always says, you've got to do. Christianity says, God did it for you. So as we look at our text, we've been talking about finally getting to the practical side of Ephesians. But it's important for us to remember what makes a person change from what they were to what they should be. Before long-term outward change comes, there has to be an inward change that takes place. When you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and you trust in Him, the most foundational thing takes place in your life. You see, at that point, you become a child of God. You become a citizen of heaven. You aren't trying to meet some kind of standard for God because you can't meet that standard. Everything you need to go to heaven, everything you need has been given to you at salvation. Then why do we struggle? You know, at, at any point then, we can die, we can go to, to be with the Lord, and we will begin enjoying for all eternity everything God has for us. Why don't we get to enjoy that now? And the reason being is we still live in an unredeemed body. And this body is still struggling with all the things that are going on around us, though we have everything we need for salvation. Today, you know, Ephesians tells us that life in Jesus Christ brings an amazing change. We hear that. We kind of struggle because we, we sometimes, we know what the Bible says, but we struggle because we're not always seeing that in our own life. As you think about what we've been learning in Ephesians, we come to the practical application of all the things that he's been teaching us. We know from chapter 1 that salvation is God's plan and it comes through his way. We know he has made a way for us to be able to live holy and without blame. We know he has planned for us to be included as family by his goodness, not by ours. We know that he has provided redemption to be purchased out of slavery to sin through his blood. We know he has revealed his future plans to us, which is an amazing thought. We know he has secured our salvation and has sealed in us the Holy Spirit, which tells us something about our salvation. One, it was never about what I did to get saved. It's about what God did for me. So I didn't have to finally maybe get saved because I finally was good enough. But the other thing that tells us about the security of our salvation is the Holy Spirit is sealed within me. Which means as a believer, and the Holy Spirit is sealed within me, that also means that I no longer 
I have to worry about losing my salvation because I can't lose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sealed within me. He has, we know, he has provided that we can understand purpose in life. The confidence of our purpose, the riches of our inheritance, the scriptures tell us. The greatness of his power that's available to us, which exceeds and can defeat all powers. Think about that for just a moment. What God gave us is greater than anything that's in the world. What God gave us is greater than the power of Satan. Now, those are really important foundational truths because he now, as we're going to go through chapters 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, he's going to begin talking about things that can become very overwhelming to us until you remember all the things that we know so now we have confidence to do what he's called us to do. The last thing, he has put us in a body of which he is the head, and that's called the church. With all that important life-changing truth, he reminds us that we are only alive by his working. You know, it's so funny. We do this flip-flop. We start and we say, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. He does all this for us, and now we kind of kind of get proud about ourselves. And we say, yeah, look at me. So in chapter 1, he tells us all this important teaching, all this important doctrine. In chapter 2, then he says, remember, it was he who quickened you who were dead. And he not only enabled you to become alive, but he also now broke down all these walls, all these barriers. You see, racial and social walls are broken down in Christ because all are one in Christ. The wall that keeps us from ministering, you say, I just can't do this, is now broken down. Remember we studied beginning at chapter 4, verse 7, where it talks about Jesus through the Holy Spirit has given every believer gifts. See, now you say, I can't do that. God says, well, I know you couldn't, but I gave you what you need to be able to minister. And then we saw last week that God also gave us teachers, gave us pastors, gave us people that can help us to understand the wall that blocks truth. This, the defeat from deception is broken down through Christ. Our ability now to see truth and use it effectively is given to us. So you notice at the beginning of chapter 4, he says, I, therefore, based on what I've told you, here's an application. Now we come to verse 17, which is where our text begins today. And he, uh, he now uses this term again. I say, therefore, because of what you've just heard, I'm going to tell you something. This second, therefore, contrasts the way Christians and non-Christians live, the way they walk. So we have this new walk. We have this comparison between an old man and a new man. This new walk, what a Christian looks like. What a, what a church looks like. So now we look at the old walk, beginning at verse 17. I, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that, hence, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Because of our salvation, because of our gift, because we've been gifted by the Holy Spirit, because we've been built up by gifted men, we can now live differently. 
And the emphasis here, I want you to notice, is on thinking. He says, I want you to not walk as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. He's talking about non-Christians. If we were to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5, you would see this comparison where he uses this same kind of term of a Gentile, and he's not talking about just every non-Jew. What he's talking about is those who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And the emphasis here is not first on doing. The emphasis first is on thinking. And we... We'll talk about that in just a moment. You know, we're surrounded by non-Christian thinking. It's everywhere. The philosophy of non-Christian, of people that have pulled away from God, is everywhere around us. And it's easy to begin thinking that way because that's what we're constantly bombarded with. Maybe in school you studied about the Age of Enlightenment. But stop and think about what was the Age of Enlightenment. The Age of Enlightenment was a philosophical movement in the 18th century, but it was characterized by this one truth, and that is belief in the power of human reasoning. And that's what it means to be enlightened, where now we've thrown off the shackles of all that religious stuff, and now man can think on his own. Think about that thought when you read verse 17. That ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. You see, Christianity is counter to what the world says truth is. In Ephesus at that point, they had a goddess called Diana or Artemis. And it was a very vile, wicked um, religion. It was perverse. For you younger folk, perverse means to be crooked. It means it doesn't go straight. You think it's going to go straight, and all of a sudden it turns, and it doesn't end up where it should. I've told you before, I, uh, with, my, with my kids back when they had large Nerf arrows, not these small ones, I had a Nerf bow and arrow, but it, it laid on uh, a baseboard heater, an electric baseboard heater, and so my arrow was crooked. My other ones you'd shoot, and they'd go pretty straight if the tail feathers were still on it. But this one arrow, it would shoot straight, and all of a sudden it would just turn. And that's the way we need to understand the world's thinking is. It will look good. It will start straight, but it always turns. It doesn't end up where it should. Interestingly enough, in the worship of Diana, you, you remember in Acts where... They were so upset with Paul, and it was there in Ephesus, and they were yelling, Great is the goddess of Diana! But the worship of Diana, the worship of another word is Artemis, the worship, male and female roles were reversed and interchanged. And they would have all these people that were working in the temple, but in the temple was a lot of immorality. And we used to look back at that and go, Wow, I can't believe how bad that was. And now we're seeing, you know, in religion, there's a lot of immorality. I'm sure you've seen in the news just in the last day or two of main religious bodies where there's a lot of wickedness in there. Why? Because when, when you begin to move away from God being the center and God being the focus, religion is going to have all kind of wickedness in it. Well, Paul was talking to these people, and Paul was saying understand something. He said, I know 
this is counter to what the world is doing around you. But remember, it's the world that moved from the truth, not we that moved from the truth. Paul says this change of thinking is connected to Jesus Christ himself. Notice what he says in, in our translation. It says, and I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. What he's saying is, on the authority of Jesus Christ, on the authority of your Savior, this is the truth. This is the way you should think. So he addresses a change in thinking. Verse 17, he says, vanity of their mind. Verse 23, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In verse 18, he says, he talks about understanding being darkened. In verse 18, he talks about living in ignorance. You see how he's talking about this is all about thinking first before it's about doing. And in verse 20, he says, ye have not so learned Christ. Salvation begins with repentance, which is a change of mind. The word there just means to have a, to be thinking differently now. Salvation begins with repentance, a change of mind, and continues by changing our corrupted, if we could use the term, files of our operating system to a right operating system. So in other words, all of our life, as we are now saved, we're constantly going through and going, oh, you know, that's wrong thinking, and that's wrong thinking, and that's wrong thinking. I have wrong thinking. And it's God's word that tells me, oh, here's what you need to, here's how you need to think. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you would know these verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by... How does change take place? It's not by me just knuckling down and trying harder and trying harder and trying harder. It's by the renewing of my mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, that is a struggle I go through every day. I have to choose, will I bring my thoughts into line with what Scripture says because my thoughts are crooked. They start okay, and then they just go weird. And I'm constantly having to bring those thoughts back into line with what does God say? So today, as we've met together, and you say, well, I've trusted in Christ as my Savior, but I've really, occasionally, I'm, I'm, I surprise myself with my weird thinking. And the reality is, is because we are constantly going through our database, and as we read God's Word, we are, sometimes it uses the term, we're washing of the water by the Word. Our, our databases have to be purged. They have to be cleansed. You see... Christians don't just do different, but they are different. And we spend a lifetime rewiring those old thoughts back to where they're supposed to be. Satan tells us things that just seem to make sense because we see the whole world is, is saying, oh yeah, that's right. 
but it's not true. It's as if going to a light switch. You ever been in a home where you flip a light switch and it doesn't turn on what you think it's going to turn on? In one home we lived in, we literally labeled light switches, which it was like, really? You have to do that? You can only flip, it, flip the wrong one so many times and finally you just label the switch. Or maybe you've been in a home where they've taped the switch down so that you don't flip that switch off. Why do you do that? Because you think, I'm going to turn this switch, and this is going to happen. But it doesn't happen, does it? You flip this switch, and who knows? The garbage disposal comes on. The light doesn't come on. It's like, oh, how did that happen? That's the way it is in life. How many times do we say, this is the right way to do something, and we do it, and it's wrong? And it's because, though we are saved, we've got the foundation. And if, in fact, we were to die right now, and we were not in this sinful body any longer, we'd go to heaven, and we would begin enjoying what God gave us at salvation. When I, when I die, and when I go to be with the Lord, I've already got everything I need. Yet he's going to redeem this body for me. So he tells us how we should not live. All right. So he says, as unsaved Gentiles live. Literally, the idea here is to be empty-minded. And you'll see it means futile. It, it's not lacking information, it is, but it talks about it's wrong information that gets you where you don't want to be. Um, he says, stop following the way lost people are walking. How does this help us to understand the world right now? Well, if you can keep this section marked, and let's go over to Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 28. And we'll come back and we'll see more of the context in just a little bit. But notice what it says here in Romans 1.28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is a mind that confuses right and wrong. They get those turned around. They do those things which are not convenient. Can you see what God tells us to do is, is the best way to do it. doesn't mean that it's not going to take effort. doesn't mean you're not going to work. What it does mean is that it's the best way to do it. To have a reprobate mind, to have a mind that's confused, is a mind then that does things which are not convenient, unsuitable. They don't get you where you need to be. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of, invival, of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding. And you keep going through this list, and you begin to see what he's told us here is, he's saying there is a mind that is cross-wired. There's a mind that's messed up. If you were to turn over a few pages to Romans chapter 8, Verse 7, notice this kind of mind that he's talking about. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity, is at war with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 
If we were to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, you would see, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. So he describes this, he says, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, what is he describing for us? He says, don't live, you don't have to live. In fact, what I've done for you is I've given you something that's going to help you. You don't have to live in the vanity of your mind like the unsaved people do. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, how? being alienated for the, from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their own heart. Ignorant of the word of God. Since the old mind doesn't know God, it cannot truly understand the word of God, and it doesn't understand the world which God made, nor can he even understand himself. That's the reason why people today are so searching for something and they can't find it. It's because... God made them, and the only way to enjoy life is in God. And people have rejected God. It says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life that is in God. What's the result of wrong, futile thinking? If we were to go back to Romans chapter 1, you would see, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful to him, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. What did we see? They begin now to worship the creature rather than the creator. And when they begin to do that, now they've lost their direction in life and so now they begin to live lifestyles that are inconvenient. We wonder why we see the wickedness in our society. We see the perversions we see in the society. It's because their, their thinking is wrong. You know, and we can make laws, but it's not going to change their thinking. In their mind, they're still saying, this is the right way to do it. Was it Kenya? I think they're just now trying to change laws making homosexuality legal. And they're saying, that way they're free to be what they are. And we look at that and we say, no, they've got that confused. But the reality is they do have it confused. You see, you can't legislate away perversion. All you can do is get them to Jesus. Remember what Micah was preaching on Wednesday night. These men were convinced of one thing. They knew they couldn't fix this guy. And they knew that if they would carry him and get him to Jesus, everything was going to be okay. There's a lot of things I just don't know how to fix. But if I can get you to Jesus, if I can just get you to Jesus, he can fix you. He can do that. So he says, um, they think they've been enlightened because now they've gotten past God. The truth 
is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, without the truth, you can't have the life. When they reject the truth, what do we know? They can't have the life. So we know, first of all, they are ignorant about truth. But let's think for a moment. We are spending an incredible amount of money. We have more people that have college educations today than I believe have ever had in the history of the world. I don't know how often, I'm afraid to say it, but if I were to say H-E-Y-S-I-R-I, my phone would immediately wake up and say, what do you want? And I could say, tell me about this. And I've got information that I can have immediately. But the reality is, that doesn't make me wise. You see, the foundation that we need is the foundation that the world doesn't have. Wrong thinking. They think they're enlightened, but Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life, and you can't enjoy God's life without God's truth. Our world today possesses a great deal of knowledge, but very little wisdom. Verse 18, he says, being alienated from the life of God. Interestingly enough, in in the language, it's called a middle voice. And it's where you do it to yourself. You ever done something where you're going to go, I can't believe I just did that to myself. Well, that's exactly what he's talking about here. Being alienated from the life in God. Literally, it's the, you did it to yourself. You have something, you you lack something, but it's because you did it to yourself. This is used three times in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. Here he's talking about the separation that takes place, the ignorance that's there. But it's the idea of having done it to yourself. He talks about the blindness of their hearts. Look with me again in verse 18. Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. The word blindness literally means the stubbornness. It's because they will not do something that they are blind. It's not that they don't have a choice. You know, interestingly enough, Satan plays a part in this. We know from 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the God of this world hath blinded their hearts. And so we see, I mean, this is a hard situation for them because they've made a choice. They, because of the stubbornness of their hearts, are, are in darkness. And Satan is very happy, and he does everything he can to keep them in that darkness. He says, they've lost feeling, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Working uncleanness. Here is something that we're seeing in our society today that is destroying the way we think, destroying our conscience, destroying the spirit of a man. The only thing we know when we read the news is that it doesn't make sense. The man that just killed these people over this past week. 
there in Illinois. He was going to lose his job, so he kills his co-workers. That doesn't make sense. But the one thing we know is that the world won't make sense. If you try to figure out the world other than they need Jesus. They need God to change their thinking. We're seeing today with pornography a huge change. Uh, it's interesting, the research they're doing, of how pornography changes the mapping of your mind. All of a sudden we begin realizing there is all kinds of wickedness out there and Paul's saying, stop thinking that you have to go in this line. Stop thinking that you have to follow this because you don't anymore. He says, you're not under that anymore. When you got saved, God took all that away. We look at a lot of the mental illness we see today. And a lot of it is because we've been separated from God. Can Christians have mental illness? Oh, absolutely. We still live in wicked bodies. We live in sinful bodies. We live in bodies that are messed up. But how has the world's thinking gotten to where they are? They've gotten to where they are because they've rejected God. They've taken God out of that. The word here says, given themselves over to work all uncleanness with greediness. Literally, practice. It's like a business model. It's a business practice. And he's saying the world has given themselves wholly. Their business model is that they're going to do wickedness. And in fact, it's even protected by the law today. Wrong is protected by the law. And they've given themselves over to uncleanness with greediness. They just want more. They want more. They want more. And Paul says, now look at the difference. Look at verse 20. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. This is not the way it is in Christ. The expectation here is that God's given you what you need so that you can live differently. You don't like the results of following sin. So he goes on and he explains it. He says, you have seen that you are not stuck. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. This is literally talking about salvation. And he says, in Christ, you have, you've seen that you're not stuck. You don't have to be dominated by sinful desires. In fact, what does Jesus say? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We spend our lives having a choice. We've got all the foundation pieces we needed. We have everything to be able to change. And he says, you just need to remember, friendship with the world is opposition with God. You need to remember, if you love the world, if that is the thing you're wanting to embrace, he says, then the love of the Father is not in you. Now, don't get confused. Don't think that that's saying that if you're saved, you will never have desires. Well, Paul's very clear about that. Paul says, oh, no. The things that I wish I wouldn't do, I do. And the things that I wish I wouldn't do, those are the things that I, that I do. And all of a sudden you begin realizing, we still live in this body. What Paul is presenting, he's given us all this doctrine. He says, God had a plan for you. God's the one who worked out your salvation. God's given you redemption. God's given you power that is greater than all of this. Don't follow after that mindset which was destroying you. He says, follow after that mindset which can bring peace for you. 
He says, you know that in Christ, verse 21, looks different from the Gentiles. Christianity is truth-based. You have heard him, the truth. You have been taught by him, the truth. And at salvation, with this new capability that God has given you, your eyes have been opened. You're no longer in the dark. He says, therefore, put off the former lifestyle. That wasn't possible before. You know, until you get saved, until you have the Holy Spirit, you can't put off the former lifestyle. It's just what it is. So how do we then get rid of these uh, deceitful lusts? We've been corrupted by deceitful lusts. Notice with me, he says, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do we do this? We renew the spirit of our mind. How do we renew the spirit of our mind? He says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. When you got saved, God created in you righteousness and true holiness. It Righteousness, the way you treat others. Holiness, your relationship with God. God gave you those things. You're created in, in righteousness. You're created in true holiness. And now he's challenging him. He says, use the things you've been given. Next time we get together, we're going to look at now the listing that he's going to give us, beginning in verse 25. And he's going to say, because of this, wherefore, now he's going to give us this long list of things. But before you get into the do's, you need to think, you need to have a change of your thinking. And that is, this is, the, this is what I want now. This is the direction that I'm heading. His challenge to them and his challenge to us this morning is, stop going back to your old thinking. Now, I hope you don't struggle with that as much as I do. But often, my mind goes back to the old way of doing things, and I have to stop and think, no, 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 I don't have to do it that way. In fact, that's going to end up hurting me. It's going the wrong direction. In Christ, I now have been given what I need. It means every day we're stopping and we're thinking, what is old thinking and what is new thinking? Well, how will we ever know what's old thinking and what's new thinking? David asked that same question, and David answered that question when he says, when I take heed to your word. When I start listening to God's word. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think listening to God's word. I don't know what mental picture comes into your mind. Could I just give you something very simple? Listening to God's word is listening to God's word. Getting God's word into your mind. I find for me you know, it's good that we take a little time in the morning and we spend time with the Lord. And it's good that we, before we go to bed, we spend a little time with the Lord. But even 20 minutes in God's Word is not enough to counteract everything I'm getting all day. I have to intentionally try to make ways that I am listening to God's Word. It's good to listen to preaching. It's good to listen to those things. But could I challenge you? Listen to God's Word. There are lots of ways you can do that. You can, you can buy CDs. 
You can buy DVDs and play them in your car. An inexpensive way is if you have a smartphone or if you have a computer, go to Uversion, uversion uversion.com, or just get the app Uversion, and it will keep track of it for you where you've listened, and you can keep listening. You know, wouldn't it be an amazing thing? Can you imagine how it would impact us as a group of believers together if, if we were all committed to saying, I'm definitely going to read through the entire Bible every year. Can you imagine how that would impact you? Some of you say, Pastor, I'm already doing that. Could I challenge you to read through the Bible maybe three times a year? You go, okay, I just checked out. Maybe read through the Bible once a year and read through the New Testament three times a year. What, what I'm going to challenge you to do is, you know, in 45 minutes, you can read through the Bible, depending on the speed that you're reading and if you're allowing it to read it to you as you're reading. In about 45 minutes to an hour a day, you can read through the Bible three times in a year. That's just really one television program. Maybe you don't do television. Maybe you listen to talk radio. Maybe you, whatever. I don't, I don't know what, you're, what you do. But I mean, just an hour a day and you say well I don't read very fast well that's why I encourage you let it read it to you while you're reading along it it will revolutionize your life why do we need to do that we don't do that because I'm a super Christian I read through my Bible you know it's it's too bad we've turned the blessing into a duty we read through the Bible because this is how I know how to live this is my information. If I, if I get the Bible into me, now I know, oh, that's the way the world thinks. This is the way God wants me to think. Could I challenge you with this? It's so easy to get busy. And, and I, I love you all. I'm so excited to be here with you. I don't want you today feeling beat up by me. I mean, the Holy Spirit may put his finger on something in your life and say, this needs to change. And if that's happening, let me encourage you, just make the change, because it's always for your good. You should never walk out and go, boy, you really stepped on my toes today, and that was a bad thing. No, that's really a good thing, because if the Holy Spirit does something, that means that's for your good. So you look at this. Stop going back to your old way of thinking. Give a new importance to God's Word. I don't know, to you you teenagers. You know, I mean, it's, it's one thing for an old person to read the Bible. I'll, I'll just tell you. All right, so all right, old people do that. You say, well, you're sitting in a rocking chair. You don't have anything else going on anyway. So, yeah, you read your Bible because you can't do anything else. All right? But let me challenge you with this. The sooner you put this into your head, the sooner you get to start using it. You know, if you wait until you're gray-haired to read through the Bible then obviously you've lost a lot of your life. You know, some of you, you've grown up in church all of your life. Have you ever finished the Bible one time? Would you, would you maybe consider doing that? Find out if there's a way with your mom and dad that maybe they would let you listen to the scriptures? You say, I've done that. Would you like to take a challenge that every year you're going to do that? Can you imagine? You're how old right now? 11. Let's say you live to be 91. That would mean just if you just read it through once every year, you know, you'd get to read through the Bible 80 times. 
That's amazing. And I just challenge you because sometimes I think we, we get to church and we're saying, okay, well, I'm good. You know, hey, I read my Bible occasionally or whatever, and I'm glad for you. But I want to push you and say, could you do more? Could you get more into your life? For us as adults, we get busy. Could I encourage you, if you can't think of any other time, and maybe you've got a 10 or a 20 or a 30-minute commute, would you start listening to the Scripture in the car? When you, get to, when you get to work, you won't be nearly as angry, I can tell you that. Um, I, I listen sometimes, I'm listening to the radio and I'm like, really? Really? Is that really what you think? You know, and, and I find my spirit is not good. And it's like, why am I doing this to myself? You think about your timings. You think about what you have time to do. But let me encourage you. Make it a priority. Find where you don't think like Jesus Christ and just begin replacing it. It'll change the way you treat your wife, change the way you treat your husband, change the way you treat your parents, change the way you treat your children. It'll change the way you treat your coworkers. It'll help you so that in those times, hopefully you don't have this happen to you, but there are times I just get frustrated and now how am I going to react? Let me just encourage you. There is, this is so exciting because, now, if we just start with this, with this thought, okay, I can, I can get God's word in me and I'm going to be different, it still doesn't help you the way it should until you remember all that God has planned for you. You know, before you were ever born, God had a plan for you. Before, before you ever received Christ, God had already planned out your salvation. He had made a way for you to live holy and blameless. God had already provided redemption through Jesus Christ. Jesus died, and it was planned before the world, and yet God still made us. What a great God. But don't walk away turning the blessing into a duty. You know, I'm thrilled that you all are memorizing don't turn that into a duty. Turn that into a blessing. You get it. If you can get God's word into your mind and memorize it, then when you're doing things, you immediately can think about it. You can begin meditating on it.